Hello, and welcome to episode 165 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the rosebud. This week we're going to be talking about Citizen Kane on your I'm Still Hungry podcast. Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. I'm on Twitter as at Matthew Vose. We are continuing our Cult Popturally Deprived Fortnite. We are joined by Richard from the Cult Popture Podcast. Uh, welcome to the show, Richard. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Cult Popture. Although most of the time it isn't me tweeting, it's my co host, AJ, who you had last week. Absolutely. Do, do you ever get confused? Something comes out like. Did I say that? <laughs> that we get quite often. We'll get. It probably happens more the other way around on the the occasions okay. that I will actually tweet, um, and we'll get all these replies. And AJ will be like, "What the?" <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's been a few times when one of us has tweeted something the other person doesn't agree with, like um, really? and then like because because I I wasn't a fan of the Last Jedi, but AJ was, and then he, he tweeted some defense of it. And Ryan Johnson liked it, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> I didn't ask AJ this, but I have to ask you: Do you ever get tongue-tied saying "cult popture"? Uh, I get tongue-tied saying "pop culture." I, I say oh, okay. "cult popture" so much more frequently, um, mm-hmm. but that's that's the one that I go to. Although there's been a few times when we've like guest starred on other people's podcasts and things like that, and they've like in the title of the episode it says featuring Richard from Pop Culture. Um, (laughs) just all of pop culture yeah 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 (laughs) which i mean technically is true i mean if you consider podcasts to be pop culture i'm part of it (laughs) so yeah i did have to think through saying cult popularly deprived because it it feels obviously alien but yeah Mm mm-hmm um citizen kane almost the oldest film we've done we did do the original animated snow white um a good while ago but that's that's still standing as the oldest but this is you know one of the great classics that everyone talks about we have film cinephiles talk about Mm. um when did you first see this uh i saw this must have been like 10 years ago Um, okay yeah it was like like when in my first couple of years out of high school so i finished high school in 2010 and my first couple of years out of that was like when I really got into cinema, into okay. into movies, and um, yeah, that was pr- probably when I watched Citizen Kane for the first time. I've seen it a couple of times, um, mm. I think, and yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> did did it resonate at the time? Were you doing the? You know, uh, yeah, I think it was definitely because you know you check it out because it's the greatest movie of all time, mm-hmm. um, and. It's while while it might not be my favorite movie or even one of my favorite movies, it is like the kind of thing you can definitely watch and acknowledge that not only was this groundbreaking in 1941, but it still holds the test of time. And I'm sure we'll get more into that kind of stuff later on. Yeah, I came to it a few years ago as well. And I think had I seen this when I was informative teen years getting into films, if I'd seen this instead of 2001, this would be up there. Yeah, instead yeah, of that yeah. one so mm. hmm. 
Interesting. So no expectations or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Mandy what did what uh, both what is this about what did you expect it to be about? So my brief synopsis I actually took from a piece of the Wikipedia article I think um it is the epic tale of a publishing tycoon's rise and fall. Okay. Which is broadly <laughs> what it's about. I mean yeah. we can get more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I really had no idea what it was about. Okay. I knew I I had been spoiled many years ago that Rosebud was the sled. Right. But I didn't know what that meant mm. until I started watching it, of course. And then I was like, okay, that makes sense. Mm. Um so I didn't know it was about a publishing person. I didn't know that it was following the life of a man who had died. Like I had no expectation other than this is a really old movie that everybody says is the best movie ever. Right. So how were you spoiled? How did you find that out? I don't even know. I've known that for years. Is it just pop culture osmosis? I think so. Yeah. It's just one of those things. Um, Joseph didn't know that. And he asked me what it was about and um, what it meant, what Rosebud meant. And I was like, I don't know what it means. It's just, I've heard the phrase, Rosebud was the sled. Okay. <laughs> right? That's yeah. just a thing. Um, so I I didn't have any expectations going into it. I actually kind of thought I wasn't going to like it, but I should have known better <laughs> given our track record with the older black and white movies mm-hmm. that we've done on the show so far. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've had one yet that I've not liked. I mean, they stand the test of time for a reason, I think, is, is, you know, why we're still watching them like 100 years later. Loads and loads of, like, shitty films that came out in 1941. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's a reason we're not talking about them here. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, When I saw it, I knew what what Rosebud was as well. Mm. Okay. Because of an episode of Columbo. (laughs) Where the guy... The, the killer trains his dogs to savage people when he says a certain word and he's a huge film fa- fa- film fan so Rosebud is the word mm. and mm. Columbo retrains his dogs so that they come and give you cuddles instead of attack you when he hears the word so that he can fool him in the end there you go, Columbo <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> in an episode that I looked up that also stars Kim Cattrall wow interesting <laughs> alright one more question just before the screams, were you swimming on top of the water, or were you swimming under the water? I was diving, swimming under the water. So you couldn't have heard the phone ring up in the house? I didn't hear any phone. Very good. Um, do we need to cover why you've not seen it then? I don't think so. Yeah, it's the same reason it always is. It's... Before your time. <laughs> yes. But you still have that that graphic of where I said I don't like black and white movies, right? Oh, yeah, probably some. We need to dig that one out as well. <laughs> yeah, um, just dig that out. If anyone hasn't seen it, Citizen Kane is a 1941 drama. It was directed by Orson Welles and starring Orson Welles. The film was written by Welles and Herman J. Mankiewicz. It also stars Joseph Cotton, Dorothy, Cumming- Dorothy Cummingore, and William Allen, amongst others. Orson Welles had found success with his Mercury Theatre and a radio broadcast of The War of the Worlds. A contract with RKO Pictures brought him to Hollywood, where he was allowed to develop his own story, using his own cast and his own crew. 
Basing the story on the lives of several tycoons and media moguls, the film courted controversy at a number of stages. It included being prohibited from mention in William Randolph Hearst's papers, so the person it was most directly based on, um, and it was almost not released by RKO due to some of the pressure from Hearst and others until Wells threatened to sue them if they didn't actually release his film. Whilst the film was a critical success, it did not recoup its costs at the box office, in part due to the efforts of Hearst and others to diminish the film. It disappeared from public view until 15 years later when it was given a revival in America through TV and cinematic re-release and was then again heralded by the critics. In the Academy Awards, Citizen Kane was nominated for nine categories and expected to win the majority of those. In the end, it won just one award, Best Original Screenplay. It was in the first set of films selected for preservation in the National Film Registry list in 1989. Thank you very much. It's okay. A story. It, it's another one of those, you know, because it's a great classic film. We found this with like The Godfather and so on. Yeah. There's a lot written on this. You can find out mm-hmm. every single little bit about the making of it and yeah, yeah, what the yeah. cameras were, and yeah, let's, let's cover the broad strokes. Yeah. Good job condensing it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like the, the the production of this film is insane because it was Orson mm. Welles was like 25 at the time and already <laughs> the like a huge huge um, name in pop culture like you know yeah, he dominated broadway the famous war of the worlds broadcast mm-hmm. um and then he just got given like hollywood essentially came to him and we were like just make whatever you want and he managed to make a deal where it was like if you can keep the budget under a certain amount you can have final cut on the picture which is like you know some of the biggest directors working today still don't get final cut which mm-hmm. means you know they get um say the, the the studio can't come in and cut everything out but um and so you know we we left this with this kind of like you know what's considered the greatest movie of all time um and it comes from like an experiment that never happens that mm. will, you know pretty much never happened again it's it's just crazy like there was, you can see the stuff from this that people took away that we're digging yeah. into about like how they made it and, and the makeup and so on but there's still this lack of you know the, the studios want control over it mm. That they're not going to give away as much to risk as as this had, and maybe it's because they don't care about the critical success. Mm. Who knows? Um, how were you able to watch this film? Do you own this now? Uh, yeah, I've got this on DVD. I um, that's how I watched it the first time. Watched it this time. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm the same, and I looked to see if it was rentable over here or anywhere. The the main place it's rentable from is Microsoft. On the Microsoft Store, and then you can buy it digitally mm. in a few other places. Interesting. Interesting. Um, it is available to rent everywhere here in the nice. states. Um, I rented it the 70th anniversary edition Ooh. on uh, Amazon. I don't know that it was any different. Like, it didn't seem to have any special bits. Mm. Maybe it was just digitally remastered. Yeah, or I something. think they did a remaster on Blu-ray for the 70th. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, Orson Welles, yeah, a, a big name. Uh, Mandy, have, mm-hmm. have you ever seen anything from him? Do you know him? I know his name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I am familiar with the um, legend of the panic caused by War of the Worlds mm-hmm. um, that apparently was possibly exaggerated, maybe. Yeah. Don't know. So, but that's when I hear Orson Welles, that's what I think of. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
a little hard at times to compare this to other films because it's invented a lot of what it does and, you know, it's heralded as being better than anything else ever. Um, what's your experience of something that may be a period piece? It's got a puzzle it's at its centre, it's non-linear. That's really oddly specific. <laughs> See, I, um, I didn't think it was because... This is, well, I mean, I'm assuming you might be maybe referencing Knives Out that we just talked about last week. It, it has elements of Knives Out. <laughs> is there? Yeah. But it's this thing that this is something people try to copy. I mean, Tarantino does this in half his films. Pulp Fiction, obviously, is a pretty direct version of this. Um, you know, Rashomon does bits of it. Vanilla Sky, Memento. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's fair. <laughs> Is I've, I've, of those I've only seen Memento, but and you know Pulp Fiction, but I don't think I would have said Pulp Fiction because I don't view Pulp Fiction as having a puzzle at the center. It's it is very nonlinear, but I don't see the puzzle aspect there. That's fair. Okay. Um, Citizen Kane, did you enjoy it? I did. Okay. Surprisingly, <laughs> you didn't think you would. I did not think I would. Um, I will learn one of these days that these movies that are good, that everybody says are good, still 70, 80 years later, actually are. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. What did you enjoy? Why did this appeal to you? You know, it's... What's the best way to say this? Every time we talk about why I go to story, it's about being emotionally invested in a character in the world, not necessarily in the plot. And that's what this movie is. It is the story of Charles Foster Kane. Okay. Told from various perspectives, mm-hmm. but we essentially get his life from childhood to death. Um, at least broad highlights of it. And that's what I enjoy when I go to a fictional world. I want to live in the world and not necessarily be mm. constantly concerned with who done it or, you know, trying to figure out the next piece does that make sense at all you're looking at me like i'm crazy (laughs) it it, it does knowing that you love to watch a film and try to guess what's you know what what's the twist what's coming this kind of thing sure did it therefore help knowing what rosebud was that like you didn't have to think about it you could just enjoy the story as presented to you you know maybe I might have been very frustrated if I didn't know what Rosebud was because all we got of Rosebud in the movie was the reporter asking what Rosebud is and nobody knew. Nobody had any idea. And so it was just kind of this ethereal idea floating around. And I probably would have like laser focused in on it, trying to figure out if there was a specific clue in the way somebody's talking or the way dialogue was written or why this chair is over here. You know, I probably honestly, I would have done that. Um, So it probably is good that I knew. So I just didn't have to think about it. And um, it made me realize pretty upfront kind of why I thought he said it and like why that was really the point of the movie, which just allowed me to enjoy the story for what it was. So it's, it's refreshing to just enjoy something without looking for the twist. Yeah, that's fair. And coming on the heels of knives out, I think I needed that. (laughs) (laughs) Which doesn't, 
like it gives you so much that we we talked all about knives out last week, but it you know that gives you all of it so early on, mm-hmm. and then I think like we said it becomes you're rooting for the characters. This is just interesting because Rosebud isn't important. It's almost an, an easy way for them to give that thing of he misses his childhood, the freedom he had the last time he was happy. However, you read it, mm-hmm. but then we also have this other thing that as much as it's about him, it's about the characters telling the stories, which I love. It's like. Yeah, characters within characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard, the same sort of questions to you. Obviously, when you know when you first saw this and and looking back on it, what? Why did you like this so much? Why did it appeal to you? Um. So actually, I'll tell you. Um. I used to have. I I think this is where it was, but it was like I had this um board game with they had a DVD in it called Seen It, and it was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I I think it was from this or or some version of a game like that, and there was a scene in it from citizen kane and that was when because obviously you know you hear citizen kane's the greatest movie ever made but you mm-hmm. think oh you know it's not going to stand up kind of thing um and they played this scene from it and it's when um uh thatcher's coming to see him about his um his newspaper losing money and mm-hmm. he says um yeah that's right i did lose a million dollars this year on the, the rate i'm going i'll lose a million dollars this year and next year as well at the rate of a million dollars a year i'll have to close this place in 60 years and he do, he gives this like little smirk and it, it's, it's a very it's yeah. a very charming and well-performed scene and so that was when i was like oh maybe there is something to this citizen okay. kane um <laughs> and so i i found a copy of it bought it on dvd and watched it and i think yeah the the sort of the craft of the filmmaking um because especially when you're going back to 1941 a lot of the techniques you see in this film are either pioneered or perfected by this film i think like mm-hmm. detractors of the film were trying to say like oh you know it's an encyclopedia of of um of techniques and it's like yeah they're, they're, <laughs> that's why it's, it's one of the reasons it's great um, yeah is that you know you, this is like a master class in filmmaking there's the the i know the technique at like really pioneered was the deep focus which is having everything in frame mm-hmm. and focus mm-hmm. so there's the what well, probably my favorite example of it in the film is when um Ch- uh, for, uh, kane's parents are talking about like giving him up and you can see in the window mm. in the background him playing outside and everything's in focus and so like it highlights the distance between them um as well as kind of like it's almost distracting um, but in a good way, like it's, yeah. it's supposed to, your eye kind of isn't really supposed to know what to follow. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and ju- yeah, just the just the 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 technical craft of it um, that, and I and I thought I was only going to be able to appreciate it on that level, but then you know I was I was treated to a very a charming lead performance, and um, yeah, just a, a, an interesting story because it, it's interesting to have. Uh, essentially a biopic that's actually a mystery movie like mm-hmm. you know the whole thing mm-hmm. is someone trying to uncover this mystery um but through that we get this genre bending biopic yeah i love that it's got uh, all the the sort of clever shots and really interesting staging of it so you're you're watching it going oh this is really interesting it's really quite meaty what they're doing and we're seeing these mm. characters through different times and all this sort of thing coming in and, and then the film's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the actual story of it is good. Yeah. You know, you can really dig into it. And, and you, you get into 
those themes. You, you're talking about, um, and that's not even something I consider. You see him in the background. You're like, oh, is something going to happen to him? Or am I supposed to be focusing on what she's doing or what the father's saying? But you're right. He is there getting between the parents, even mm. as they're trying to talk. So, like, they're, they're not in sync. So you get a sense of, like, why it's not a happy household, not a good place for a boy to be, possibly. And, yeah. like, just in the way he's staged it, you're getting something about the character stuff. Yeah, which, which oh, I guess I we, that. we're kind of <laughs> used to these days, like, you know, mm. a, a lot of visually interesting storytelling. But, you know, back in, back in these days, it's like almost everything was just like either a, a wide shot to show everything or <laughs> yeah. like close-ups if you want to see the face. Obviously, there were more experimental things happening at the time, but this would really, um, I feel like, expose that to kind of the the, the general public. Mm. or like mm-hmm. it, it became so influential that it was like you know whatever i'm kind of the the, the encyclopedia as it were and, and then it's just it, it's grounded in the real world you know it's talking about real world events and it's got less less for us now a little bit because it's, we don't quite know who the people they're referencing like um hearst that he's so you know based on but at the same time we have media moguls we have people who have controlling oh, industries yeah. we have companies like disney controlling everything so it's sort of you know not too far from where we are anyway oh yeah i mean i i watched mm-hmm. this in yeah like 2010 2011 and at the mm-hmm. time reading about it people were like oh yeah it's essentially based on the donald trump of of that that, right. that time and it's like this was before he was before you know yeah. prison, back when it was like oh including a failed political career um but yeah and, and so yeah it, it's insane to think that like how hearst essentially you know clipped the film's wings uh and you know didn't didn't do very well at the oscars um lost to mm-hmm. and, and the maltese falcon was nominated that year as well which is another classic and then they they both lost to a film called how green was my valley which um Brilliant. Apparently, by all accounts, is actually pretty good, but didn't deserve to beat Citizen Kane. What I expected, and I think we had this with Sunset Boulevard, maybe, that there was like one other film that was nominated for everything as well. Yeah. And that was the mm-hmm. film that got the nominations. It's like it's a clear number two past everything else. Yeah. I, I think there was something about Citizen Kane that it was really interesting how, like in every category it was nominated, something different won. Hmm. Oh, so it wasn't like a sweep from another movie. Yeah, there was no like one film that really stood out just for whatever reason, whether it is, you know, the shoddiness of the voting from the Academy or something. Um, different things got it. Hmm. So Rosebud, the sled, <laughs> <laughs> is is the big thing. Uh, and uh, I, I quite like that it's the opening, it's the opening word that gets said, hmm. but there's not, mm-hmm. not even a hint at that moment of what it could be. The yeah. snow globe is so tangential to playing in the snow that it doesn't. What when you actually see it, it doesn't doesn't come there. So the mystery works well in the film itself. Is it just that this is what makes it so good that that? I, I was about to ask a question of: Does it need that mystery? Would it Would it still be, you know, just as good or even better if it didn't have that as a distraction? But I'm now wondering: Like, is it just because it's got so many levels that it's it's I, I think it's as good like... as it is? it's it's the it's the bow on top of the package like it, it um mm-hmm. you know this this would be i think a a pretty good like it would be a big good movie and everything it did for filmmaking um but it's i think part of me thinks it's rosebud that 
uh, you know, made it stand the test of time. Because it's almost like a, a, a precursor to, like, memes. That it's it's this thing that can be repeated. It's one word that represents mm. the entire film. And it's like, like, all three of us knew what it was beforehand. Because it's similar to, like, the... Um, it was Earth all along at the end of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, right. That it's like, it's one mm-hmm. of these spoilers that has just permeated and bled mm. into pop culture. Um, but, and, and yeah, so al- almost that, that kind of gives it like a, a, a longevity, I think. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you could have it without it because it just, it makes it so good. I just yeah. love that. Um, and and I like. Do I like it at the end when you see the sled and it says Rosebud and it's all burning and the music comes in? Bah, 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 this is Rosebud. Could you believe it? Oh my god, it was the sled. Um, I feel, I feel like that feels very of its time, but at the same time, like a lesser director might have thought, oh no, that's that perhaps that's too much. And it's really nice that they're like, can you believe it? We're now telling you what the thing was. We made you believe it wasn't going to be found out. (laughs) I quite like that they let the audience in on it, but nobody in the movie knows. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I really like that. Um, Particularly, I think, because Rosebud, the idea of Rosebud is essentially the framework with which they're telling the story of Charles Foster Kane, right? Um, The alternative is to just do an actual biopic where start to finish, we get his life told from the perspective of other people who were in his life. Mm. And that's that's just been done so many times. I don't know if it had been done so many times in 1941. Um, probably it had because, you know, relatively yeah. most stories are linear, right? Um, so I like that, that Wells came up with this, like you said, like the bow, the ribbon around the package mm. to dress it up and and to make you want to kind of stay involved yeah like because it doesn't have really have anything to do with his life the them looking for the meaning of rosebud but it was still it gave us something to i guess to oh what am i trying to say it's the end of a monday my brain (laughs) is fried i'm sorry i i I think um you're you're absolutely right that it's it's a framing device effectively yeah it's it's yeah. the fact that he's yeah. going and doing interviews, which is why this isn't just a straight... Because the film opens with the factual details about his life. Like, mm. the opening is a newsreel that we would all watch about, you know, someone's obituary, that would tell us the stuff about them. So that kind of gives us that grounding. And then we start getting into kind of the rumour and gossip side of it, the, the opinion side of it, as he interviews all the different people. Yeah, And, and there is, I, I think, the way I watch it, a sense of not everyone is telling us everything. They're colouring his character by how they're relating it. Mm-hmm. Of course his business manager thinks he was this great you know, giant of the party making wonderful things. He was making him a huge amount of money and ending up as um, director of the board. Yeah. So, like, yeah, he would give him a very, very good credit, but then his ex-wife would talk about how badly he treated her and the scandalous affair and but at the same time not making it seem like it was as terrible as perhaps it might have been, she mm-hmm. protected her child and so on. Yeah, I also like part of me thinks that maybe because the whole film, the the, the reveal of Rosebud, is mm. essentially the reveal to the audience that like 
uh, on his on his deathbed, and despite all he had achieved, he was just thinking about playing in the snow as a kid and 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 the yeah. life he could have had. That it's it's almost like another middle finger to William Randolph Hearst. That it's like, <laughs> you know, like you're actually not truly happy and you never will be, um, mm. because mm. you know you through through the ideas of the story. Um, that because that that's kind of what it is really is that Kane was never truly ha- as happy as when he was mm-hmm. a little boy, um, and he, and then his mm-hmm. life changed forever and he got set on this completely different path. Well, I don't know. Would would you have ever had a happy moment if you lived with the the knowledge that your parents just gave you to a bank? Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe <laughs> like, that has to be like scar like that would scar me for life yeah yeah you're right i i i do love the whole bit with the parents because like the the father is clearly not a good person and mm-hmm. uh, you know whether it's a, a a sort of old daddy issue thing of he's jealous of his son because his son comes across as intelligent and capable something on those lines yeah but they never quite explain why the mother is doing this whether she's you know he's better off being sent away or we just need the money or again a different film might have been like oh we need her to give a speech at some point about it yeah yeah i mean it's, it's kind of implied that uh yeah she, she's getting him away from the father mm-hmm. mm. yeah she had that one line where he said that he ought to thrash the boy and she said and that's why i don't want him to stay here or something mm-hmm. like that um, but that was it. Just they came into money, but suddenly she wants him to take the money somewhere else and be raised somewhere else, mm. which is kind of odd. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It, it gives her a lot of character, I think, mm-hmm. which which is good because she's barely in the film, but she's clearly <laughs> an important part of it because of what the film right. sets up there. Um. Yeah. And, and yeah, I just love the, the, the thing of going and talking to all the different people and getting all the interviews done. The one that is coming to mind and wants to talk about is the ex-wife opera singer. Yeah. Because um, mm-hmm. in some ways that's the most factual of the the accounts because it's talking about her being trained and not being well received. And, and you know, obviously she talks about trying to kill herself and, and um, the failure of the marriage. But at the same time, the way it's told is all it's always him pushing her. So is there an aspect of she can't admit her failure that she wasn't as good as she wanted, that she did want it and he pushed her for some reason or Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I I may be just taking things for face value, but I accepted mm. what she said about him just because his personality was consistent across all of the accounts, okay. I feel like. Um, granted, his personality changed as he got older. Yeah, um, and I think Leland had a great line that kind of accounts for that in the middle when um, the Inquirer poaches all of the newspaper men from the Chronicle. Leland says something like, you know, it worries me that little by little they're going to change him without him even knowing it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like that's, that was setting up what we're going to see from him for the rest of the movie and the rest of his life. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that- I don't know. That that's just I mean, that's just kind of how I was how I was feeling about it. I think they did show him being pretty consistent. He was always very exuberant, very much I'm going to do things my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, even even when we were first introduced to him as an adult when he decides he wants the newspaper, right? I think it would be fun to run a newspaper. I don't care about any of this other yeah. stuff. And then he moves into the newspaper the first day he's there, right? Like, he never cared what anybody else wanted. He never asked what anybody else wanted. He just kind of bulldozed ahead. And so I that's why I believe Susan when she says that's how he was about her. Mm, okay. Yeah. That That's the good shift of uh, he starts off in the newspaper wanting to help the poor man on the street. Um, mm-hmm. And ends up to a place of they will believe what I tell them to believe. I don't, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's never quite as as linearly said as that, but it's you know that sort of shift. But even in those early stages, he is very much like, if we make the headline big, it will make the news big. He's not mm-hmm. actually interested in in the the truth of the thing. He just wants to be the best at it, and mm-hmm. it becomes his hubris throughout, which is a, a, always a good character story. It's always always an interesting thing to see someone, yeah, you know, uh, what is it, run through with their own petard. petard. <laughs> something um you made me you you mentioning Mandy there about him moving in to the newspaper reminds me of like the comedy of them showing up and shuffling the things through and the guy carrying all the stuff falling through the door as as much as you know there there is this great stuff in here that changed the way cinema was made in in years hence there's still stuff of its time sort of slight screwball comedy kind of mm. always oh, tripped over the rug and <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's a very, it, it's a surprisingly like funny and charming movie. Mm, because if, yeah. you, if you got this, you see Citizen Kane, often considered the greatest movie of all time. And um, what uh, what do we say? It's an, the epic tale of a publishing tycoon's rise and fall. Uh, you know, you'd be like, oh, boring. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, yeah. Like, that doesn't sound interesting at all. But it's it's the, I, I think Orson Welles is like, you, you know, one of the, the most charismatic people to have ever existed in hollywood mm-hmm. um and i mean obvi- obviously the if you look later into his career it's kind of uh he, he, he gets kind of weird uh and self-indulgent and, and whatnot but there's a period for a very long time there where he was you know a god among men um and right. can, all mm-hmm. things considered and yeah um and 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 this movie tells you why that he was able to achieve this monumental feat at like twenty five, mm-hmm. and and pulls off a really same age performance that... at the core of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That's the same age as uh, Kane was when he inherited his trust mm. fund and started at the newspaper. He was twenty five. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, charming is absolutely the right word for it. Because it is just these moments come up, and there's there's a lot of one-liners through it. Like I was, yeah. I was looking back, trying to think on you know what what were the lines that really stood out, or the bits of dialogue. And there's nothing that I could say like this line. Uh, no, that's not mm-hmm. true. There are a few, but most of them are sort of it's when they're in context, and it's his sort of wryer side of like, like you say, and I'll lose money for sixty years. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the <laughs> moment that it works so well, and just all the bits about. Oh, I think we're all like a jigsaw puzzle, and yeah, and it's it's his like restrained glee at these kind of things <laughs> yeah. as well. That yeah, it's mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, you you can see why he had all these relationships he had in his life as well. That like you know you know just because people would gravitate towards someone like this. Mm-hmm. So I think we're we're fairly gushing about it at this stage because <laughs> it's good. I mean. Like it, it wasn't heralded as the greatest film. You know, critics loved it, but then I know over time, so often other films are voted as kind of number one, and this gets a number two. Mm-hmm. But it's always been up there. It's it's never fallen down. Yeah, the the as as the, sorry, the official like um, uh, the sight and sound greatest film of all time list, mm. uh, which is published once a decade, is um, from nineteen sixty two to two thousand and two. This was number one. And then, oh, okay. and, and so that's so that's like uh, polling critics and directors and and whatnot. So that that's kind of where where its status as the greatest film of all time comes from. Um, right. But it's in 2012 they just randomly decided, oh, actually, it's Vertigo and Citizen Kane is number two, um, which is weird that it's not like a new film that came out. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. people just collectively decided, actually, you know what? Like, you know, it's um, it's Vertigo by um, Alfred Hitchcock, and. Um, <laughs> So I mean, I guess there'll be another poll in like two years, um, but I mean, yeah, there's there's plenty of lists where it's not at number one, and like you look at IMDb ratings, it's like somewhere in the sixties, and um, right, uh, Shawshank Redemption's number one. Okay. The uh, I feel like the cynicism of the times. This will probably get back to number one. Oh yeah, totally. Like, yeah, you know, especially the stuff about kind of the, the fake news aspect and. Whether the media is trustworthy and whether politicians are trustworthy. Oh yeah, it's, it's I, I, insane it's... how timely it is. Almost eighty years, later. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So good. Um, but in gushing, because there are one or two good things we can talk about. This, mm-hmm. uh, Mandy, do you do you have things that stood out from your you know one view that went okay? This is this is pretty good. This is yeah, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, um, you know, I really liked Orson Welles like performance mm-hmm. of Charles Foster Kane. I didn't know that's who it was. Like it was somewhere um right after he started at the newspaper when I was recognizing just how charming and vivacious he was mm-hmm. that I was like I really like this character. Who is playing mm-hmm. him? Right? Because he just seemed so classically 1940s. Um and so I looked it up and it was Orson Welles and I was very surprised by mm-hmm. that. <laughs> because um like I said my only experience with him was World of the Worlds. I knew he was a writer. I didn't know he was an actor mm-hmm. um, or director, actually, at that point. Um, so just his performance, I thought, was spectacular. And to watch him go from, you know, a 25-year-old to, you know, dying of old age, essentially, was pretty spectacular. He just kind of ran the gamut of emotion and mm-hmm. experience through it. And I really enjoyed it. Um as part of my really deeply intense love of Charles Foster Kane as a younger mm. man, um, I really liked his Declaration of Principles okay, that yeah. he wrote. Because at that point in his life, he was still very idealistic. Mm. You know, he had a purpose and he wanted to change the world. And he thought that having the money that he had would make him able to do that and didn't count on the money changing him as he went through life. Um, but as someone who is also often told I'm too optimistic about life, <laughs> um, I really related to this declaration of principles, I guess. <laughs> um, the breakfast montage with him and his first wife, Emily. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, it was wonderfully done. Mm-hmm. 
And um, the moment that I just absolutely laughed in delight was when Emily had the smirk and the audacity to hold up the Chronicle that she was reading at the breakfast table. I loved it. Um, it was just such a subtle moment, but it was hilarious. Mm. Um, yeah, if we if we're talking things that uh, hadn't been done before, there, there were not films like this before in general, and telling stories out of order. But but taking a scene just to show the progress of time and the progress of relationship line by line by line, mm-hmm. like it's so good, it's so good to just <laughs> keep the audience with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know we're we're comfortable watching time travel movies and dealing with the all in parallel people meeting uh, and all this kind of thing that happens in stories now. But this wasn't a done thing at that time. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know what the reaction would have been to it, but it, it does keep you going with it. You sort of see exactly what's happening and what you're being shown. I think I read that that breakfast montage was the first thing they shot really? for the movie, really? too. Yeah. Yeah. So. um, And then I think my favorite line from the movie is just because it's kind of profound um, is when they realize they're not going to find out what Rosebud means. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who said it. It might have been the reporter. Um, but he said, I don't think any word can explain a man's life. Mm. And I, for him to finally come to that realization after spending all of this time trying to figure out what this meant and how. I mean, I think the directive he was given at the beginning was, uh, what did he say at the newsreel? He was like, this tells us, like, what the man's life was, but it doesn't tell us who the man what who the man is. Mm-hmm. Like, and so he sent him out to find out what his last words meant, and so to kind of come full circle at the end and say this single word can't explain a man's life. Yeah. I thought was brilliant, and, and and it's true. Like, if he got the answer certainly early on, that it's like, oh, Rosebud, that's his sled from when he was a boy. It, it doesn't tell you anything, but when you see it in context of a person's life, you're like, okay, so it's talking mm-hmm. about how he changed over time, and the last time he was happy or without money or yeah. free or you know how we're defining it. Like, yeah, the word doesn't mean that, but it, it's they they've built it into this concept that works so well. Right? Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, mm. So good. <laughs> Richard, what what stayed with you? Um, since watching it, yeah. Well, one thing that um, there's the the speech when he's running for governor. And it's like in mm. front of the giant um, poster of his mm. head with Kane written at the top, yeah. and it's it's funny watching scenes like that. That is like that, that's so iconic in pop culture. It's you know one of the, one of the you know top one hundred most iconic scenes of all time, probably. Mm. Um, and seeing things like this that you know when you first watch them, you might not even realize that The Simpsons was referencing something um, when you <laughs> yeah. saw that, but like mm. that. Um, and then you see, and you go, "Oh no, okay, I get why this is, why this has stayed in pop culture for seventy, eighty years." Mm. Um, but yeah, I just um, uh, like you, Mandy. I just, I just love um, young Kane, just like this, this charming young go getter who, um, you know, mm-hmm. has the 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 world as his oyster essentially. It's it's just a fun character to watch, and and he's clearly so joyful in his performance of mm-hmm. it that it's 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 mm. fun to watch uh not only the character but also the actor portraying him just enjoying it so much mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you can't help but picture him without that 
with, with the 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 right grin. Yeah, I'm I'm going to rule yeah. the world. Yeah. <laughs> <Sort of thing. laughs> what about you, Matthew? The, well, I was just just going to say on the, the 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 speech he gives when he's trying to go for governor with the cane thing behind him. I I think I'd seen that. I think I had seen that on some clip show or or you mm. know something about great mm. movie moments, something like that. Yeah, and I remember going, oh, it's about someone running for office, yeah, political yeah, yeah. career, something like that, something fairly highbrow, and had been put off by it. Mm. So when watching it finally and going like, oh, it's about his whole life and the, the career of this guy, like, okay, maybe it's not quite as, yeah. uh, you know, in-depth, in speechy-speechy as I thought it was going to be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, I think that's the cover of my DVD, actually, as well. Is that Okay. Shot? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think mine is him as the twenty five year old but like with the paper behind him. Oh, yeah. But but the newspaper is then articles about how good the film is. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like because yeah. I think it's one of the special editions <laughs> or something. It's a right. little meta. Um I just want to talk about the aging stuff. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Every time I watch it I'm like No, the this isn't the same actor. This is someone different. Mm. This is like mm-hmm. you know, obviously on him and he's the one you see most in different ages and so on, but the stuff they do with Leland, the stuff they do with um, the 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 you know, I can't even remember the guy's name, the bank dude, Thatcher. Thatcher. Yeah, like and and Bernstein. You know, they give good performances as older people. You know, mm-hmm. and Leland particularly, he gets a lot of fun stuff of being crotchety and wanting a cigar and so on. But the way you see them physically change as well as what the performance is, and like you know, I've read up on it, and it's all. They had to invent techniques for this, and they spent twelve hours getting into makeup for a ten-minute shot and stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's worth it. It's that good. It's so impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's not even just good for the yeah, time. I... It's like it, it, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I think of like Star Trek, where you know that someone in old old person makeup is like their face is sloughing off or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, is, they've actually gone. What would this person look like when they're older? It's it's hints and touches of age. It's not just every bit of wrinkle and grey hair yeah, and liver yeah, yeah. spots mm-hmm. and you know. <laughs> yeah, I I first noticed it with uh, Susan, his ex wife, mm-hmm. um, because not only did they age her up, but they also made her look like someone who had been crying okay. of grief. Right. right, she had the puffy eyes, and it. It just like that's the first time I noticed like the makeup in in this movie was, was spectacular. Yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, that takes some doing. That's so good. Yeah, I I also um I did find a Star Trek connection. Oh, yeah. I found a way Ooh. to link Citizen Kane to Star Trek. The editor of this was Robert Wise, who directed Star Trek the Motion Picture. Huh. I mean, he he did a few other things and like West Side Story and so on. <laughs> um, right, <laughs> but it just came up at the end this time. I'm like. Oh, I know that name. I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, everything's in Star Trek, frankly. Of course. Um, um, one thing we didn't talk oh. about. Did did either of you guys know that, well, I'm sure you do, you have the DVDs, but this movie had a trailer? Yeah. Yeah, the trailer's really interesting, actually. The, the trailer has mm-hmm. its own Wikipedia page. Yeah. Does it? Really? Yeah, so um, I was trying to convince Joseph to watch this movie with me, and so I was like, hmm, I wonder if there's a trailer which I wasn't expecting to find anything or to find something that somebody had made so much later. And I found the official one from 1941 and I played it and I was like, this is interesting. Mm. Um, And then when the movie started and it started with the newsreel about his death, um, 
and that was very like documentary like i was very confused about whether or not this was actually going to be a movie like a motion picture movie instead of some sort of narrative documentary mm. so what is the trailer the trailer is Orson Welles talking about this movie that the Mercury Theater is getting ready to put out and introducing the actors. And it's really nothing about the movie yeah. at all. It's one of the first trailers, I think, that, that has nothing from the, the actual movie in it. And it's it contains the only behind-the-scenes footage that exists of the movie as well. Mm. Um, oh, really interesting. But it's um, essentially... And because this was part of his like final cut, this was this was how he decided to sell the movie. But part of the reason they did it like this was to hide what the movie was about, so that um, Hearst wouldn't be able to like stop the release of it. And like they almost did, but it was like yeah, part of it was to to surround it in a bit of secrecy. Nice. Yeah, because I did see stuff about like gossip columnists sneaking into preview screenings to find out what it's about and whether they should write about it and stuff. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. They tried to control the narrative. It's crazy that this kind of stuff existed yeah. in 1941. Like, because I guess, like, mm. you know, when we think back to these times, it's like, oh, yeah, only, like, eight movies came out that year. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, there's... They still had reviewers and spoilers they had to worry about and things like that. And, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's, quite, it's quite funny to to think about yeah Brilliant. all right well is there anything else that we need to discuss about citizen kane um one or oh, one thing I, i'd like to bring up mm. um just briefly is mm. um uh one of my favorite directors david fincher is uh coming out with a uh, his first movie in like six years coming out this year on netflix it's called mank it's a um biopic of herman j mankiewicz um who wrote okay. citizen kane mm-hmm and so it's interesting as well because it was um, David Fitch's father wrote wrote the script for it in like it's it's the only script he ever wrote and he wrote it in like the early two thousands and then he died like ten years ago or something and so he's using okay. uh, the script that is that his father left behind and um, Gary Oldman's playing uh, Mank um, so yeah well, just uh, keep an eye out for that if you'd like some probably be some interesting behind the scenes stuff on. Um, citizen came but the other really exciting thing about it is um trent reznor and atticus ross are doing the score and so they're known for doing like you know lots of right. synth mm-hmm. and stuff like that they've got a very sort mm-hmm. of uh not well, not necessarily unique but they've got a very well-defined sound and style but they're doing the score for this using only period appropriate instrument instruments um oh what fun yeah oh. so it's all but like what they would have had access to make a score out of in 1941 so excited mm. to hear what their sound sounds like through that cool i will definitely look for that yeah because the thing i I was wondering as as we were talking particularly the mention of vertigo like there's there was a lot about citizen kane there are films about the making of it and the people on it and and books written and analysis and all sorts it's never been remade there's not a you know 1992 tv (laughs) miniseries Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whereas, like, there are Psycho jumps to mind. You know, there is a shot-for-shot remake of Psycho with Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which tells you a lot about it. But what? Why is this? I mean, is it just that someone owns it who is not going to let people get their claws into it, or 
Well, I think that's part of it. I know that with with Psycho, that was kind of Gus Van Sant's um, experiment. Like when asked why why he would do why he made the remake mm. and why do it shot for shot, he said, um, "So no one else would." Um, and I think it's <laughs> it's an interesting um, experiment in like uh, in in what is directing really because you have. You know, Psycho is obviously made by one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, and, and Gus Van Sant's a great filmmaker. But it's like, even if you are copying every single shot from the film, um, like why isn't it as good? And it's like, obviously, mm. the the performances aren't as good. But like, how much is it about like creating a sense of atmosphere? And where does the atmosphere come from if not uh, the shots and the order you put them in and how long they last and and things like that? So it like. The Psycho remake is like misguided as it is. It's a re- it's a really interesting thing that it exists, um, but I think you know, yeah, Citizen Kane's probably just one of those untouchable things. It's like it, you you'd you'd have to be a, a fool to try and remake <laughs> Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood. <laughs> that's that's the issue with it. But no, yeah, it it just I'd never really thought about it because it, you know it's on this pedestal. It's like it's yeah. Citizen Kane. It stands as, as it is. But yeah, there are other good films that have been um, you know attempted again. Yeah, but I mean, like, because Citizen Kane is like synonymous with being the best. Like you talk about, mm-hmm. you, you you often hear people talk about like a bit, something being the Citizen Kane of X Y Z. That's fair. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Great. Well, I think we're done. Okay. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank this you so has much. been, like, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I'm, so pleased we've hit like a properly good classic film as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It feels like, like as soon as I saw it on the list, yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> with uh, you know, with, with the the logline of your podcast, you you need to do so. Kane. It took you 165 yeah, t- um, goes, but you got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> we got to it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> is, is there anything else you think we should seek out? Whether a classic, a new film, something else that you would uh, say um, to find? Oh, you could check out some of Orson Welles' other work. Um, mm. His his mm-hmm. last film role uh, was he played Unicron in Transformers the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, the Third Man is another. Um, uh, it, it's. I mean, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to spoil anything about. It, but the, the the Third Man is a is a good film okay. featuring Orson Welles, um, okay. and the way he appears in it is is quite cool. Okay. And where can people find your show? Do you want to give us the uh, the elevator pitch? For oh, yeah. All right. Cult so uh, my podcast is called Cult Popsha. Uh, I co-host it with AJ, who uh, checked out last week's episode uh, to, to listen to, to him talking about Knives Out. Um, so our podcast, uh, we do a series called Film Franchise Fortnights, where every two weeks we uh, watch all of and then discuss a different film franchise we've just finished doing all the james bond movies we split it over fortnights by the actor um so go listen to that unless you're like a big fan of james bond because <laughs> um uh because i am not um I, I, like up until daniel craig i really did not like those movies um aside from you know the odd one that 
um mm-hmm. that that was all right but um yeah so yeah we do a massive wide variety of things we've done a bunch of different horror movie franchises and then we've also done like sisterhood of the Jervy pants um and it's sequel <laughs> Amazing. um so yeah and then on our and apparently airbud yeah, airbud that's another yeah. <laughs> um all like 19 movies in the airbud franchise <laughs> um yeah, so, and then, oh, when we're not doing those, um, we release a podcast every week, so if it's not Film Franchise Fortnights, we do another kind of um, discussion or some kind of thing to do with pop culture, although mo- our most recent episode, um, at time of recording anyway, was um, a very self-indulgent quiz where we got <laughs> our fans to send in questions about ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but you did literally call it the self-indulgent quiz yeah, yeah, like you yeah. knew so, what you were doing so yeah. we made it um, you know it's it's not pretentious if we acknowledge that it is no it's good it's good fun <laughs> I, I love your show I've recommended it m- many times yeah. and just the like the amount of stuff you have to watch sometimes but the range of things that you cover where you do flip-flop from like oh we're covering Lord of the Rings or the MCU or James Bond and now it's yeah Land Before Time Sister of the Travelling Pants yeah yeah, yeah. Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, you, it's like quality whiplash. Um, <laughs> and, but the, the the thing we get is like when you when we watch like you know a series of ten horror movies and then and then because we, we they're chosen randomly or um, decided yeah. by our patrons. Um, and then the next week we get another horror movie and then so for like over a month you're just watching people die and it's so <laughs> depressing and you just get in such a dark headspace just having to because it's like oh you know Aww. you're supposed to feel a certain way but you just end up being sad um you, you're not scared Aww. you're just like oh i just i don't want to meet all these new characters because they're all gonna die <laughs> oh no <laughs> i mean it's a good thing horror franchises don't go on too long eh Terrific. Well, yeah, I thoroughly recommend everyone go and check them out. Thank you very much. And we are completely funded by our lovely listeners through Patreon. So anything you can give, it gives access to exclusive content, early access to shows, bonus shows, and some exciting physical merch, such as coasters and stickers and magnets. You can find out more by visiting patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about the King's Speech with Emmy from So You Want to Read Tolkien. Until then, I'm Mandy Kay. And I run a couple of newspapers. What do you do? Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.